Hello and welcome to the iChiefs podcast series brought to you by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. This is a podcast series not only for our members within the IAFC, but really for any fire service leader who wants to learn about engaging topics to our industry, innovation, leadership skills, and all the other emerging subjects that are important in our arena. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief of the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and a past IASC president. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now ESCI Chief Development and Strategy Officer at the IASC. We're glad you're here because this podcast is designed for you, the fire and EMS community. Before we start this week's topic, make sure to check out our library of episodes at iafc.org slash podcasts. And subscribe to our podcast series at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you think the content is great, be sure to share it with your crew and give us a good rating or a thumbs up. Welcome, listeners, to the iChiefs podcast series. And today we have a, this is a pretty new topic and something uh, that I think is interesting to all fire, fire departments, regardless of size or complexity. And that's talking about the number one priority we have on the fire ground, and that's life safety. More specifically, it's saving civilian lives. And it's why many of us join the job. And what we're talking about today is a project that was started by a chief officer um, with the Midwest City, Oklahoma Fire Department uh, as part of his higher education, and it's called the Firefighter Rescue Survey. And the Firefighter Rescue Survey is uh, an attempt to try to quantify things that we're doing in the fire service better than, than infers would have us doing them today. So it's quite the achievement, quite the project, wonderful opportunity to learn something. And we're learning it from Brian Brush. Brian Brush uh, started his career in California, was with uh, the West Metro Fire District, uh, that's Greater Denver, Colorado, for 13 years. And then he relocated to Oklahoma, where he's worked for two departments there. He's currently the training chief for the Midwest City, Oklahoma Fire Department, which is a suburban fire department just outside the city of Oklahoma City. And so, Brian Chief, we are delighted to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, uh, and, and thanks for joining us. Well, I'm excited too. Um, we just wrapped up the IFC Southwest Division, Southwestern Division Conference here in, in Midwest City, and uh, it's great to uh, continue the interaction and the discussion um, with the IFC on, on this topic. I'm I'm very excited about it. So thank you very much for having me. I think it's wonderful. And I heard good things uh, coming from the Southwest Division Conference about your presentation, and I hope that's actually, uh, you know, you've been on my radar to interview and talk on this podcast series for several months now. I think I reached out to you over the summer, so I'm glad that we've got time uh, that we can discuss it because our viewers are the leaders of the fire service. And I guess, I guess first, I told them a little bit about what's on your resume and where you've worked, but tell us about you and your career in the fire service and maybe uh, your interest and, and maybe what some of the the genesis was to even come up with such an endeavor like this well i guess uh the, the fire service has always been a, a deep-seated passion of mine i i was in fortunate enough to grow up in a small town in northern california where volunteering in the community was a a part of the fire service and uh at 16 years old i i got to uh get involved as a volunteer uh responding from the high school for fires and uh, riding tailboard and uh, man, I, I joke that the fire service got their hooks in me two years before any military recruiters did, and I've been, uh, you know, just just excited about it ever since. 
Um, I came out to Oklahoma State, was, so I was involved in Oklahoma State University um, right out of high school, came here for fire, would go back to California to do wildfires in the summer, and eventually worked my way to, uh, to West Metro, where I uh, had an excellent career there in a very diverse department as far as responses and and uh, very progressive. And uh, But ultimately, I'm, I married a, a girl from Oklahoma, and, and we returned back to Oklahoma, and and that's where I've come back to kind of start over a, another career in the fire service here, uh, mainly focused on training. And uh, when I returned to Oklahoma, I got involved in the uh, master's program at Oklahoma State, so trying to further my education there and, and had a good background from the EFO program. So uh, kind of research and study of and doing some deep dive on, on fire service-related topics has been a, a big part of my life as certainly this last 10 years. And uh, a, a great deal of that has been focused on um, kind of this personal uh, mission to uh, really study uh, the progress or, or lack thereof since the initial America Burning um, project in 1973, and that's I guess been a, been a, been that genesis. If you if you want me to put a, a pin in it, is uh, you know studying America Burning, understanding that where we came from was a big part of my fire service upbringing, and uh, we are quickly approaching the 50 year anniversary of that, and I've I've just personally wanted to have something to uh, to speak to um, as far as how the last 50 years of the modern fire service has gone and, and, and where we might be able to take it in the future. So um, the uh, fire ground rescue project, and we'll kind of discuss that a little bit as we go, is um, the firefighter rescue survey has been around for five years. Um, some firefighters have been collecting information on, on how rescues are occurring. Um, but my master's project was a, a fire ground civilian rescue project. I really wanted to know how many uh, rescues were actually occurring. So back to your point of, of tracking some new data, that's, that's really what has been the, the spark of, of this interest is, is finally tracking down how many rescues uh, firefighters are, are making on fire scenes on a daily basis. Well, I think that is really cool. I'm kind of a history buff myself, and so I, I love that the the origination of this idea really has some roots in that 1973 America Burning Report. And I guess I'm curious that the Firefighter Rescue Survey that you have going on now, uh, when you go to the website, and I'll share the website with our listeners um, at the end of the podcast, when you go there, what's evident to me is that you've done uh, – you, you put a lot of effort into – uh, making reports available, the first 2,000 reported rescues. You can go and look at uh, geographical information as to where you're getting these rescues reported. And there's a lot of utility there uh, for people to understand something. that it, I don't know that you can count this anywhere else, right? And so what what have you learned? What are some of the things that you, know, you, you were interested enough in this, this topic of fire ground civilian rescue to do it, to take the initiative and make it happen as part of your uh, uh, dissertation or you work uh, within your master's program, but what, what's, what has surprised you or what, what has the data reinforced about, you know, thoughts maybe you already had regarding this topic? You know, it's kind of amazing. Uh, so when we look back at uh, the firefighter rescue survey, um, it is the qualitative data. It's, it's the, the, how these rescues are, are actually happening and um, what's interesting is this couldn't be more grassroots, you know, um, uh, back to uh, Chief Isaacson uh, from Escambia County, a battalion chief, and then really a, a group of really passionate firefighters out of the Pacific Northwest and kind of around the country. They started looking at news articles on rescues. They would just Google search rescues, 
and they'd try to find information from it. Was the victim pulled from a second floor or first floor to just try to find out more about how rescues were actually happening? And it's very similar when we look at uh, the study of RIT and the Mayday Project and these other things where we, we do deep dives on how firefighters are hurt, injured, or rescued or saved. Um, but these guys wanted to know more about how they can be better at searching and, and, and doing those types of functions. And um, that's where the rescue survey was born out of it. Um, very much mirrors, uh, again, as far as a, a resource like the firefightercloscalls.com. Um, it's a, it's a walkthrough of about 45 questions of what were you dispatched to? Um, how did you get there? What did you find with upon arrival? How was the victim removed and located? And, um, that's kind of the information that you're speaking to right now and in, in what we're making available on the firefighterrescuesurvey.com. And we really do want to be as open with our information, open source. Um, we, we try to present it in, in easily used, uh, tables and, and formats and then if you go to the in the news section we'll do a little bit more uh, description on each of those tables as far as what the parameters are and give you a little bit more context but um, what's really been kind of neat and maybe not so much surprising in the firefighter rescue data is that it actually confirms um, things um, that we're seeing in the labs basically in the streets so for example ul has done an extensive amount of, of study of of the protection of a closed door um, by using parameters associated with lethal doses and, and toxic gases and heat temperatures. And we, we've got a lot of information on that, but UL is limited on their ability to study humans. Um, so then when we look at the fire ground or the firefighters rescue survey, we find all that information is paralleling. So it's, it's being confirmed in the streets and we're seeing things like, you know, when a victim is located behind a closed door, their survival rate is 86%. You know, so that, that is proving out in the streets that, that the closed door is very, very important. What we're also seeing is that only about 30% of victims in house fires are located behind a closed door. So when we try to um, look at the UL study right now, and, and the message out there in prevention world is uh, close before you doze, really the only way that we can provide a metric to is that message being effective is right here. Uh, right now we're at 30% finding victims behind closed doors. It would be our hope that 20 years from now, um, the close before you doze campaign can demonstrate their success. And we can see that now it's up to 50, 60% of the civilian occupants are found behind closed doors and that we're doing a better job of getting that messaging out. Because an 86% survival for a victim behind a closed door versus a 60% survival um, not behind a closed door is, is a significant difference over, over a course of time. Um, beyond the firefighter rescue survey, the information I found in, in my uh, research project was, and again, to, to kind of simplify, the firefighter rescue survey is how are rescues being accomplished. Um, my research project for the university was, um, how many are being accomplished. And in that first quarter of 2021, I found that it was on average of 9.8 rescues per day um, by firefighters in full PPE on the fire ground uh, across the United States. And I really tried to filter through to where they were legitimate rescues where a firefighter in PPE or firefighting equipment was involved in uh, removing these, these victims. And 
Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that that is overall underreported. I use the same uh, system as they do for the U.S. Fire Administration civilian fire fatalities to determine those rescues as far as finding them in the news and finding them in press releases. Um, but, for example, in the first 90 days, a, a state like California of 40 million people, I found that there was 53 rescues in that first quarter, whereas compared to an Illinois had 68. So you have a significant difference in, in population, um, so the per capita rescue rate. Uh, I think a lot of that is just um, these rescues not making it in, into the news, and I think a lot of it is uh, fire departments maybe being a little bit too humble and not making a, a public statement that they are actually out there working and saving uh, civilians from fires. Do you think that – and I've been involved in some data collection projects, and I feel like I understand – you know, the National Fire Incident Reporting System as much as um, any fire chief does. But um, I've also, you know, been involved on the sidelines with, like, Lori Moore and the, the N4s project, and and there's there's other, I would call them almost, you know, derivative projects to try to just collect different data than uh, we're required to send. And so, uh, you know, I'm curious, when you talk about, you know, there's an under-reporting of data, it sounds like your your data is statistically significant, however, because you're using a, a process that's pretty standardized. What what would you like to see changed within, you know, fire department data collection that would maybe help us do our job as fire service leaders or even, you know, this, you can take an angle of community risk reduction here, too, about collecting this data. What would you like to see changed in the in the data world that would help firefighters and fire chiefs do their job? Well, you know, there's a, I think there's I think there's a way for us to um, obviously we, we can you know you talked about the the sample sizes being important and that that is really important but um, good a good concentration and focus is important so uh, I guess the easiest one easiest change for us to make would be um, for us to identify whether the building was occupied or not. Um, so, again, when we talk about rescues, um, they are the removal of a victim from, from a, a building uh, under fire conditions. Now, the, the outcome is, is, is completely dependent on, on a variety of things, but it, we have to get them out of that toxic atmosphere to fresh air for EMS. So uh, the rescue is really critical. Um, but uh, what we do a kind of a poor job of on our side is, and I don't even know if it's available through inference, but identifying whether that occupant, whether that fire was occupied or not. So um, right now, you know, let's say ballpark, the United States, we run about 350,000 residential home fires uh, or residential fires, be it homes or, or apartments. And we have, um, you know, we're, we're demonstrating that we have about 10 rescues a day. We're demonstrating that we have about 3,200 uh, civilian fatalities every year. But we all know that of those 350,000 residential fires, not all of them are occupied. We always know after the fire whether it was occupied or not, whether we showed up and we rescued somebody or we showed up and we found someone in it uh, or we showed up and they left. But I think to get a better gauge of our residential fire problem would be to know um, if we're really only dealing with 100,000 occupied structure fires a year, and then we can look at the fatality rate and the rescue rate and really kind of narrow things down a little bit. So I'd like to see that change in our reporting. Um, I'd like to see us do a better job. The technology is out there now. 
for us to do a better job of, of evaluating the narratives in reports. Um, there's, uh, that's something that's been lacking. We, we definitely, the fire service is heavy on quantitative data, the check boxes and the drop down menus and the fixed uh, stuff, but we're really poor at, at collecting and evaluating qualitative data. So we have a, a, a tremendous, just mountains of, of narratives on fire reporting um, that is just not being evaluated or, or mined for information at all. And that's where the uh, survey type information is really helpful. It's, it, those paint the pictures of, of the qualitative data, the more whys and hows and others get explained in there. Um, the last thing would be, and I get this asked often about should answers be uh, collecting rescues, and I really don't know if they should, um, but the discussion needs to be had. For example, um, almost everything in infers as far as a fire ground fatality or injury is a negative stroke. So we, when we think about it, a fire occurring, um, it's just a zero. If there's a death at that fire, it would be maybe a minus two. If there was an injury at that fire, it would be a minus one. If there was a rescue, it would be a plus one. Well, in our current state of affairs, um, let's say you, Chief, Rogers Fire Department, shows up really, really rocking fire on the first floor. You have a known, patient, known victim trapped up in the second floor. You get up there. You pull that person out. They are unconscious. You get them to the hospital. They survive. Um, they would still be labeled as a injury at that fire. So even though you saved them from certain death, it still is – kind of associated with a, a negative mark on, on the fire service. So we need to come up with some better way to um, start to track those wins um, versus our, our just our losses, which are the injuries and the deaths. I think that's a good angle, and it's, and it's not the first time I've heard of the fire service's need to almost invert power measuring, that it's not just about – um, you know, measuring and counting outputs that all do kind of have this negative slant on them. It, it is doing a better job of cataloging our wins on the fire ground. And I think that uh, it's apparent to me that you've put a lot of time, effort, and energy into this particular project. I find it fascinating, and, um, and I applaud you for doing it. One of the one of the things I'd like for you to share with our listeners, knowing that there's company officers that will download this, training chiefs like yourself, fire chiefs, of course, is that we often have to, I always feel this obligation to make sure that, that we give people some some advice or we, we have an ask of them as they download and listen to our podcast. So from your perspective, managing this project, project, what can those different groups of individuals on the fire department do to help move this project forward? Or what can they be doing, probably better asked, to make their departments better in participating in this kind of data collection? Well, you know, I, I, you know, to take uh, to take that perspective of a of a strategic, a tactical, and a and a task level, um, you know, I, I I prefer to offer those types of things up for people. And you know, I, I think at the chief level, the five bugle level, um, we really need to look at this in its totality. Um, you know, I I think it's you are the one setting the the mission for your department and the organization and, and you're the one who's having to speak to city council and, and budget and plan those needs. Um, I think it's very important that we start to recognize that the fire service is, is rescuing 10 or more people a day. Um, so the fire service, as far as they need, while fires are down, we, we are certainly making an impact daily um, through our direct actions in, in communities. Um, 
when you start to look at the information, and again, firefighter rescue survey is a great source of information. Uh, the the resource the research project that I put out also has a lot of information in there. What I found was, you know, when we look at these rescues, it really is plural. Um, we found that at the average, the average for uh, rescues at a residential structure fire um, is one one and a half. So fire incidents in a single family dwelling where there is a rescue present, it's typically more than one victim. Um, when we get into apartment fires, any multifamily dwellings, um, fire incidents that had rescues, you're closer to 2.6 per fire. So as many as three. So again, even uh, determining deployments in these things, there's a lot of organizations that still send a residential response to a um, a commercial occupancy or to a multifamily dwelling. And, and what we've known for a long time, those high-density high residentials, uh, the, the potential is certainly there. Um, so victims trapped, it, it probably will be, uh, will truly be that plural uh, event. Uh, at the company level, the, the tactical level, we really need to start to consider the, the operations that we're doing. Uh, in many, many departments, uh, that first two officer is, is making statements like, will be uh, on fire attack and primary search. We really have to reevaluate that. Given today's environment, the importance of cooling and, and novel discipline and, and fire dynamics, uh, we can't be putting our people in the position where one company is tasked with both fire attack and uh, primary search because if they come across a victim, they're going to have to give up that nozzle and, and attempt a rescue. Uh, it's really best if we focus on one or the other um, or with the first two companies, dedicated company to each. And, and in that information on the first 2,000, you can find those types of events where uh, fire attack discovers the victim, much lower survival rate versus a primary search crew finding the victim and removing them. Uh, dedicated companies to dedicated tasks is, is, is really important. And then when we get down to the task level, that information can be driving things such as ladder rescues, then enter search, um, we find that most victims' um, rescues are found in very low visibility to no visibility situations. So training in blacked out conditions uh, is going to pay dividends when we're in those situations. Removal by ground ladder versus removal through the occupancy. Removal by ground ladder has a much higher uh, survival rate. Um, we, we know how toxic these environments are. Uh, every minute in these lethal environments uh, makes a difference. So when we're telling people that Close before you doze, compartmentalize, uh, and get fresh air. It, it goes for the rescue as well. Um, and then finally, I kind of task the fire service with uh, across the board to reevaluate um, what is just for firefighters and, and what is just for civilians. I think, and I won't discredit it, we've made great advances in um, firefighter removal techniques, uh, getting firefighters air. Um, firefighter rescue has been a... a has made us all safer on the fire ground and more competent firefighters. Um, I would challenge us to think of a firefighter rescue as being no different than a civilian rescue. If we identify that, that we may have to get air to a civilian victim because there's a challenge in getting them out of the structure, if we identify that uh, getting humans, um, be it firefighters or civilians, through obstacles and around hoarding conditions, uh, that's no different than, than those risk challenges that we've had. So. When we're doing our training, do a better job of, of making it uh, across the board and saying this is rescue training. 
uh, not just maybe skills and drills and techniques that we're, we're only saving for uh, those who are in bunker gear and air pack, because I think we are better rescuers today because of RIT. Uh, we just want to ensure that it gets relayed over to the civilians as well. Well, um, there's not too many that's <laughs> not too many podcasts I do that I end up scribbling down notes for my full time mortgage paying job. But uh you successfully <laughs> done that. So rather any if any if nobody else likes this podcast, it's still a win for me. So I'd remind our listeners. There's a lot of there's a lot of good information. I appreciate I appreciate how you packaged it together, Chief, that you know, we have to we have to reevaluate how we're doing stuff because this is Chief you know, you have Chief Brush here who is He's taking data, right, and he's learning, and we're using that to hopefully improve and adapt the way we do business, whether that's um, just acknowledging that a single company cannot effectively do both search and rescue and fire attack. That training in real conditions, a novel idea, has a purpose because we're, we find a lot of victims in low or no visibility situations. That public education is rooted now, thanks to this Close Before You Doze program that ULFSRI has been doing for a while. That, that that's, that's reality. That we have a lot. The survivability rate behind a closed door is much higher, and that it, it weighs in on uh, at the executive and leadership level that we have to look at what we're deploying, knowing that we're going to have, on average, based on the science that, that you've gathered, that we're going to have uh, three victims per fire that encounters a, a, a civilian rescue in a multifamily setting versus one and a half in a single family setting. If we needed evidence to change the way we do business, I, I think you've shared it today, and I appreciate you being on this podcast. Um, there's no doubt that at some point in time we'll have to visit again and see what else you're finding. But, Chief, thank you for taking the time today, and thank you for, for carrying this endeavor now for several years uh, to make our profession more safe. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I'd remind our listeners that uh, we've been talking to Training Chief Brian Brush with the Midwest City, Oklahoma Fire Department, who has been working feverishly on his project regarding fire ground civilian rescue. The website firefighterrescuesurvey.com is where you can go and navigate this data, both in aggregate form and also in some visual context that can even make sense to most firefighters. So take some time to go over there, see how it can apply to your department, and most of all, uh, I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to learn. I want to remind our listeners to download our podcast and, of course, like us if you enjoy the content. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more innovative and important information as it relates to fire service leaders next month.